Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit and turn our eyes away from worthless things and preserve our lives according to your word. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning we continue our series in the book of 1 Samuel. And this is a book that falls in an important time in church history where the King David is working towards his way to the throne. And you may be a bit perplexed as to where this fits into the uh, the history of Israel. I'll give you a quick overview again. Uh, basically, you start out with Adam and Eve in the garden. The Lord creates the world. Adam and Eve, from Adam and Eve, you eventually get Abraham. From Abraham, he has a grandson called Israel. From Israel, you get the 12 sons of Israel. They become the 12 tribes of Israel. They move down into Egypt uh, because of a famine. But while they're there, uh, their descendants continue to increase and grow. And eventually, uh, Pharaoh enslaves them. Then they're led out of Egypt with Moses, and they wander in the desert for 40 years. Then under Joshua, they're led into the Promised Land, uh, and in the Promised Land they live, and they have different judges who look after them. The last of the great judges is Samuel, and Samuel anoints the first king of Israel, who is Saul, who we hear about in the narrative before us this morning, in chapter 22 of 1 Samuel. Uh, but there's another king who's also been anointed by uh, Samuel because Saul turns out to be not someone who is following the Lord with his heart. And so this new king is David, but of course Saul is still on the throne. And Saul knows that David is probably going to take the throne from him eventually, and so that is why he is trying to take David's life. And David has fled from Saul, and last week we saw him being provided for as he was fleeing by the priests. He went and visited the town of Nob, the, the town that belongs to the priests, and the priests there gave him some food, uh, gave him a sword, and this week we see that there was a man there that day who's not an Israelite, he's an Edomite, uh, Doeg, he saw, and he reports this to the king. He reports this to Saul, that the priest was kind to David and gave him some supplies when David went to him. And what is the result? Well, we see in this text before us, the result is that Saul comes to those priests, or has the priest come to him, and he destroys the town of the priests. We see that in verses 16 and 19. We see uh, the king said in verse 16, you will surely die, Ahimelech, you and your father's whole family. Then the king ordered the guards at his side turn and kill the priests of the Lord because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. But the king's officials were not willing to raise a hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Then, Doeg, uh, then the, the king then ordered Doeg, that's the Edomite who's not an Israelite, you turn and strike down the priests. And so Doeg, the Edomite, turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod, and he also put the sword to the sword, knobbed the town of the priests with its men and women, its children and infants, and its cattle, donkeys and sheep. The way it is described there, destruction of the town of the priests, the same phrasing really that's used for when Samuel gives Saul an order back in 1 Samuel chapter 15, which we looked at when we were working our way through that passage together, where he told him uh, that he was meant to uh, kill uh, this, uh, the town of the Ammonites. He was meant to put them all to death. And, uh, and so the same sort of devotion for destruction that was made for God's enemies is here being delivered against the Lord's priests. This is shocking. It's shocking to read of the actions of King Saul and Doeg the Edomite here. It makes our ears tingle. And so we ask the question, why would God allow such a thing to happen? Why would he allow a whole town of priests with their children as well, 
children and infants, to be destroyed in this way. Well, when we come to a passage of Scripture, it's always important to try and compare Scripture with Scripture. To try and find out the best understanding of a text is best to look at what do other texts say about this text. And I think one of the best places we can turn is back to 1 Samuel chapter 2. Now, we looked at this quite some time ago. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, probably about three years ago, that we'll last here in 1 Samuel chapter 2. But in 1 Samuel chapter 2, which is found on page 263, we read in verse 12 and following that the priests of God had showed contempt for God. That the priests of God had showed contempt for God. Read with me from chapter 2, verse 12, page 263. Now, Eli is the priest at that time, and it says in verse 12, Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Now, it was the practice of the priests with the people that whenever anyone offered a sacrifice and while the meat was being boiled, the servant of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would plunge it into his, the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought up. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the servant of the priest would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the man said to him, let the fat be burned up first and then take whatever you want, the servant would then answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. We also read in verse 22, keep going down with me, jump to verse 22. Now Eli, that's the the priest at that time, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. Here we see the contempt that the priests of the Lord were showing for the Lord himself. And so what is God's response to their treating him with contempt, of taking what, is not, what does not belong to them? What does he do? Well, we read in verse 27. Verse 27 of 1 Samuel chapter 2. Now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your father's house when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your father out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your father's house all the offerings made with fire by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honour your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promise that your house and your father's house would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, Those who honour me, I will honour, but those who despise me will be disdained. 
The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your family line and you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will be done to Israel in your family line, there will never be an old man. Every one of you that I do not cut off from my altar will be spared only to blind your eyes with tears and to grieve your heart and all your descendants will die in the prime of life. And what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be a sign to you. They will both die on the same day. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. I will firmly establish his house, and he will minister before my anointed one always. Then everyone left in your family line will come and bow down before him for a piece of silver and a crust of bread and plead, appoint me to some priestly office so I can have food to eat. Read here in 1 Samuel chapter 2 that the priest was showing God contempt and here the Lord sends a prophet to warn them of the danger that they're in, that he will destroy their house. Do they respond? Do they come to God in repentance? No, they do not. And so what does the Lord do? Well, he raises up another prophet called Samuel. As a little boy, he is used by God to prophesy again against the house of Eli. Verse 11 of chapter 3. Look with me, chapter 3, verse 11. Samuel is called at the beginning of Samuel chapter 3, 1 Samuel chapter 3. And then we hear the Lord speaking to Samuel. Verse 11, it says, And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Here we see that Eli and his house did not repent. The priests did not turn from their wicked ways. Despite the warning from the man of God, Samuel is then raised to be a prophet against them as well. That destruction was coming. And so what do we see in 1 Samuel chapter 22? What do we see in 1 Samuel chapter 22? We see God's judgment on wicked priests. We see God's judgment on a whole town of wicked priests. How? God devoted the priests there to total destruction. To total destruction. The kind of what we call the ban, where as he wanted a whole village of people who are enemies of God to be destroyed, now he wants the whole town of priests to be destroyed because of their wickedness. Yes, Saul and Doeg, they're guilty of murder, but God was using one enemy, or two enemies in this case, Saul and Doeg, to destroy another group of enemies, the town of wicked priests. So how should we feel about the massacre of the priests at the town of Nob? Well, our ears should tingle. That's what it says there back in 1 Samuel chapter 3, that something was coming that would make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. And we see that with David, that psalm that we read at the beginning of the service, Psalm 52, is a response from David to this news of the destruction of the town of priests. 
And we see how angry he is about it. And we should have that tingling in our ears as well. What does it mean that our ears should tingle back there in 1 Samuel chapter 3? Well, it's this, this buzzing in your ears, this, this response that we have, this visceral response that we have to bad news. Apparently, when you have really bad news come, and you may have experienced this to some extent, or you may have experienced it to a fuller extent, uh, the blood pressure can drop, and you have this buzzing in your ears, and it's often a precursor before you may even pass out. That there's this tingling that happens in your ears. And we should be shocked at the destruction of a whole town of priests. The complete destruction of them, even children in that town being put to the sword. But we should also then be shocked by the fact that this shows how very great sin is. How very great was the sin of these priests in treating the Lord's offerings with contempt of treating his law with contempt, of treating God himself with contempt. And so God treats them with contempt because of the contempt that they were showing him. Our ears should tingle. There should be a buzzing in our ears as we read of this in 1 Samuel chapter 22. There should be an anger that's felt within our hearts as we look at the destruction of these priests. But then there should be a fear as we consider the sin that they were committing. And what should make our ears tingle even more than hearing of the destruction of these priests? The total destruction of humans in hell for all eternity. The Spirit prophesied back in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and 1 Samuel chapter 3 what would happen to these priests. But the Spirit has prophesied again and again in the pages of Scripture what will happen to the whole human race. And what is that? Well, it's that man is destined to die once. And after that, face judgment. Many times in Scripture, it points out to us again and again, the Holy Spirit reveals to us what is to happen to the race of humans. And one of the clearest examples is in Revelation chapter 20. Look with me at Revelation chapter 20, page 1230. Page 1230, Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. This passage should cause tingling in the ears of every human who hears it. Revelation chapter 20, reading from verse 11, 1,230 if you have a church Bible. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, where we read the words of the Apostle John, and he says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is a second death, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Does this not cause tingling in our ears? And does not the tingling get even worse when we realise that this con concerns us as well? Why? Because we have original sin. We have the sin of our fathers 
come down upon us, just like Eli and his sons. That sin was then accounted to that whole town of priests. And that whole town of priests, the fathers that were there, it was accounted to their children as well. And so it comes to us, original sin from Adam and Eve, right down, comes to us. And then our actual sin is against our account. And so we deserve hell. Hell is awful. It shows the destruction of God, the might of God, but it shows how shocking our sin is. If this is what we deserve, then how terrible is our sin? Our sin is utter rebellion against the God who made us, our creator. Every time we sin, we are plunging a fork into a pot and taking out what does not belong to us. We're taking what does not belong to us and taking it for ourselves. It belongs to the Creator. He said, do not do this, do not have this, do not do this, and we take. And the worst is when we take his glory for ourselves, in the pride that we feel in ourselves. So is there any hope for this tingling in our ears? As we read Revelation 20, as we read 1 Samuel 22, and we see the total destruction of a whole town, but as we read of the total destruction of the whole planet... Is there any hope for us? Yes, there is. There is hope for us. There was hope in the prophecy given in 1 Samuel chapter 2, wasn't there? Turn with me back. Keep a finger in Revelation 20 because we do see some hope there as well. You might want to mark it with your bulletin. But turn with me back to 1 Samuel chapter chapter 2. No, yeah, chapter 2. Chapter 2. And look with me at verse 35 where the Lord says by his spirit, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. I will firmly establish his house and he will minister before my anointed one always. Then everyone left in your family line will come and bow down before him for a piece of silver and a crust of bread and plead, appoint me to some priestly office so I can have food to eat. 1 Samuel chapter 2 has a a shocking prophecy about the priests of Eli. But it also has hope there that God will raise up a priest who will serve the Lord in faithfulness. Now, who is this priest? Well, is it Abiathar? In 1 Samuel chapter 22, we saw the whole town was put to destruction, but there was one priest, a son of Ahimelech, who escaped and fled to David, and David said, look, I'll protect you. Was it Abiathar that is this faithful priest that the Lord would raise up? But he's still part of that family, isn't he? Was it Abiathar? Well, Abiathar, we see, is actually defrocked from being a priest. By Solomon, David's son. When Solomon is king... We read in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 26, To Abiathar the priest, the king said, Go back to your fields in Anathoth. You deserve to die, but I will not put you to death now because you carried the ark of the sovereign Lord before my father David and shared all my father's hardships. So Solomon removed Abiathar from the priesthood of the Lord, fulfilling the word the Lord had spoken at Shiloh about the house of Eli. We see even that one priest who escaped... He is not spared from God's judgment. So who is this faithful priest who is prophesied about in 1 Samuel chapter 2? Well, ultimately a priest would come, not from the house of Eli, not even from the house of Levi, which is above the house of Eli. That's the first 
house that was designated for priests. From the priest, from the order of Melchizedek. And who is that? Well, of course, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He was from the tribe of Judah, not from the tribe of Levi. And no priest had ever come from that tribe. And he was a faithful high priest. But how can Jesus save sinful humans like us who are condemned to total destruction? We've got this buzzing in our ears still from Revelation chapter 20 about the destruction of the whole human race. How can this priest save us? By dying. That's how he saves us. Now, how does dying help? Well, Jesus was destroyed not for his own sins at the cross, because he never sinned, but he was destroyed at the cross. He was given over to destruction, total destruction, on behalf of his sinful people. We read in Isaiah 53 that he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. And did it happen? Yes, it did. He was condemned by the Jewish leaders, reminiscent of Saul there, Jewish leader, condemning a whole town of priests to destruction. And who actually put Jesus to death? It was foreigners. Who put those priests to death in the town of Nob so many years ago? It was a foreigner, Doeg the Edomite. It was Romans who put Jesus to death, Gentiles who put Jesus to death. Now, they are guilty for their sin of putting the Lord Jesus to death. But it was at the hand of God, ultimately. What happened at the cross? Well, the total destruction that God's people deserve in hell was poured out upon Jesus Christ at the cross, upon God's faithful high priest. The destruction that God's people deserve who are his priests. I mean, we've been given governorship of this land. All humans have. We all deserve to be punished for the way that we have treated God with contempt. But instead of God treating us with contempt, he treated his own son with contempt at the cross. And what does that then mean? That means if we trust in Christ Jesus and we bow before him and beg him for a crust of bread or some priestly office, he gives it to us. And he gives us more than a crust of bread. He gives us an eternal inheritance in the heaven that is to come, an eternal life. And we read of that hope for us in the words that follow in Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, we read before the end of chapter 20 where it speaks about the great white throne judgment. But then what follows that is a message of hope. Verse, 20, verse 1 of chapter 21, where the Apostle John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. This is what comes to those who trust in Christ Jesus. The new heavens and the new earth. 
This afternoon, if you have some time, you might want to continue reading in chapter 21 and read more of the pleasures of heaven and move into chapter 22. Some of the most favourite parts of the scriptures for people who have a buzzing in their ears about the destruction that they deserve. They come and they read there and they find peace for themselves. Our ears should buzz. They should tingle at the priest's destruction in 1 Samuel 22. When I read that this morning for the first time, didn't your ears tingle somewhat at what happened there that day? But shouldn't they tingle even more at the total destruction of the human race, not on this earth, but in hell for all eternity? All destruction, pain and suffering in this world is meant to remind us of what we deserve which is the destruction in the world to come, the judgment that is coming. But there is a cure for the buzzing, and that is the peace that comes through trusting in the total destruction of Jesus Christ, the great high priest, on our behalf. So my questions for you this morning are, are you like Eli and his sons? And are you ignoring the warning of the Lord about sin and judgment? It was God's mercy so many years ago to speak to the house of Eli and warn them, what you are doing is wrong and I'm going to judge you for it. Have your ears never tingled at the warnings of God? Have your ears never tingled at the thought of hell? Have your ears tingled about other matters in this world? Have you felt your blood pressure drop as some shocking piece of news has come to you? Maybe your investments have crashed. Maybe you've, you've, it may not even be that big a deal. Maybe you lost your wallet. You feel the drop in your blood pressure. Maybe it's someone is sick. They're not dying, but they're sick. And you felt the drop in your blood pressure and even a buzzing in your ears. But you've never felt that about hell. You've never felt it. Don't you realise that your whole body will tingle in hell for all eternity. Not just your ears, but your whole body. That is what is prophesied from the word of God. I didn't make this up. This is God's word. In his mercy is revealed to you how severe your sin is and how severe the destruction is coming to those who will not turn to him. Have your ears never tingled? Won't you trust in Christ? Won't you trust in Christ? That Christ was destroyed on your behalf so that your tingling ears can have joyful peace. If your ears are tingling now, come to Christ. Won't you come to Christ and trust in him and have that joyful peace? Won't you rejoice with us whose tingling ears? Every believer in this room knows what it is to have tingling ears about the doctrine of hell. Won't you then come with us and rejoice in the peace that we have found? in Christ as our high priest, the peace that we have found in the death of our high priest. Our ears should tingle about the destruction of the priests in Nob. Our ears should tingle at the destruction of the human race in hell. Our ears should also tingle as we look at the Son of God there, beaten, whipped, scorned and crucified. But the peace then follows because we know that that destruction at the cross was for us. And so we go free. We will never be destroyed because he was destroyed on our behalf. And so won't you have that for your account as well? 
Won't you have that peace? And won't you then sing with joy Spafford's hymn, this wonderful hymn that we're about to sing before us. I encourage you, open your bulletins now and look with me now. The third hymn there, It Is Well. Look with me at verse 2. This is a hymn that all Christians sing with joy. Verse 2, it says, Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. And then verse 4, And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Won't you sing that with us with joy in your hearts? Because it is true. Come to Christ now. If your ears have tingled this morning at any sense, at hearing the word hell, at hearing the doctrine of hell, of hearing about it read, of hearing the destruction of the priest, of hearing the destruction of the great high priest, the Son of God himself, if your ears have tingled at all, come to him now. Trust him before it is too late and find peace for your soul. Let's come to God now in prayer. Let's speak with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for revealing your judgment against sin. Oh Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for not seeing the seriousness of our sin, for not seeing how contemptible it is in your eyes and for not turning from it as we should. Oh, Lord, we pray that our ears would tingle about sin and the destruction that is coming against those who have sinned against yourself. But, Lord, we pray that our ears tingling would be comforted, that we would trust that Christ was destroyed on our behalf, that he was destroyed as our high priest. And so, Lord, we pray that we would find comfort for our ringing ears. And rejoice in the salvation that you have given by your mercy and your grace. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.